0: Diseases move incredibly quickly and they can have devastating, as we have seen, health and economic and social consequences. We are just going to have to be faster and smarter and better coordinated if we are going to prevent or mitigate the consequences.
1: Welcome to Mission Critical, a podcast about the big picture, the purpose, and the values that drive today's most game-changing companies, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm your host, Lance Chung, editor-in-chief of Base Street Bull, and I'll be introducing you to a group of brilliant minds who are making an impact on the world and forging the path ahead. While they may all be very different from one another, the question remains the same. What's your mission? At the end of 2019, life was dramatically different. As the world collectively celebrated the start of a new decade with optimism and hope, who could have predicted what would come next? A procession of one calamity after another left in the wake of a world-dominating pandemic. For once, the Earth seemed to truly stand still. As it turns out, one company saw the warning signs early on and raised the alarm nine days before the World Health Organization. That company was Blue Dot a Toronto-based social enterprise that harnesses artificial intelligence as an early warning detection system for infectious diseases. Founded by Dr. Cameron Kahn, an enterprising epidemiologist and professor at the University of Toronto, Blue Dot uses big data to scour the internet to predict the proliferation and dispersion of infectious diseases. They're a key player and very much the future of our ability to tackle fast-spreading diseases in an increasingly connected world. Dr. Cameron Kahn, CEO and founder of Blue Dot. It's an honor to be chatting
0: with you today. How are you? I am well, and thank you for your interest in what we're doing. Happy to be part of this conversation today.
1: Well, we have a lot of ground to cover today. I feel like I can chat with you all day because I just have so many questions about your company and everything that's going on right now. But perhaps we can start off with a bit of a background. Can you briefly describe your journey to starting Blue Dot?
0: It's a little bit accidental in some ways. I happen to be a physician by training, specialized in infectious diseases and in public health, did some of my training in New York and Boston, came back to Toronto. And that was 17 years ago. And shortly after I got here, so did this virus that nobody had ever seen or heard of before, known as SARS. A colleague of mine got infected. There were other deaths in frontline healthcare workers, as well as citizens in the public. And for me, I think it was a bit of a realization that we'd never seen anything like this before, but that this wouldn't be the last time. So as an academic physician, I'm a professor at the University of Toronto and a scientist at St. Michael's Hospital. I spent the next 10 years studying outbreaks of emerging diseases, the swine flu pandemic in 09 and MERS and Ebola and, and a, a wide variety of other outbreaks. And eventually came to the conclusion that one of the key things that was needed was the ability to move really, really quickly. Outbreaks spread around the world incredibly fast. And, you know, we are going to stay a step ahead of them. We're going to have to move even faster. And so I, you know, approached the Ontario Centers of Excellence, got an introduction to them, to Mars, and it's these kinds of organizations that in the ecosystem here were really helpful in helping me wrap my head around the fact that maybe I just needed a different vehicle for disseminating these kinds of insights and accelerating discovery and innovation. And maybe that vehicle was a business.
1: I mean, the timing couldn't be any better for a company like yours to come out. How exactly does BlueDot work to identify infectious
0: diseases? Yeah, so maybe what I'll do is I'll tell you a little bit about this digital early warning system. It's kind of a conceptual term. So let me break it down into some of the key components. We sometimes refer to these as the four Ds internally. Early detection of threats, anticipating how threats will disperse around the planet because they move very quickly anticipating the disruption that they may cause. Diseases spread around the globe all the time. So what is it that actually causes some of these to trigger outbreaks or even possibly pandemics? And then finally, dissemination. How do we get these insights into the hands of those audiences who really need these insights? And as I'll talk about later, ultimately, our belief is that this is really about empowering The whole of society. This is not information that can be sitting in the hands of a small group of public health officials. We need to be ultimately empowering organizations more broadly in society. One of the things we learned during SARS was that if we rely on official reports from public health agencies and government agencies around the world when it comes to outbreaks, you know, that information may not always come in the most timely manner. And we may be waiting longer than we would like. So we have been using the internet as a medium to be gathering information or early rumors or news of potential outbreaks from unofficial sources. And this includes the world's online media. It includes a wide variety of health blogs and forums, as well as information that is coming officially from government health organizations. Now, the internet, of course, is a vast medium, you know, all these different languages, and it's all unstructured text data. And this is where we've been using what is called natural language processing and machine learning. These broadly fall under the umbrella of artificial intelligence and using these types of analytical tools to process and make sense of this vast amount of data currently in 65 languages. And we're tracking news of outbreaks involving over 150 different diseases and syndromes. So AI has been a really powerful tool to find the metaphorical needles in the haystack.
1: If we go back to December 31st, 2019, the morning of New Year's Eve, while everyone was getting ready to celebrate a new year, your experience was a little different that day. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened and what you saw?
0: Woke up morning of December 31st, and you're right, everyone was thinking about, you know, reigning in the new decade. And our algorithms put forward an outbreak of a pneumonia in Wuhan. And many people probably hadn't even heard of the city Wuhan by that time. And that there were a couple dozen cases and the pneumonia was of unknown cause. And it seemed to be centered around this wet market in the city. You know, at that moment, we didn't know that this would turn into a pandemic. But there were a number of parallels with the SARS outbreak 17 years earlier, we don't just rely on AI to actually replicate human intelligence. AI is playing to its strengths, processing and organizing and structuring vast amounts of data. But then this comes to our team to review because humans can look at that event and say, hey, there's actually some parallel to SARS. We should be thinking about this and paying close attention to this particular event. The one piece that I will kind of add on goes under that second D of the four Ds I was talking about is dispersion. We had asked ourselves at that moment, is this really 27 cases or is it possible it's actually larger? Or what if it actually increases in size and it becomes larger than 27 cases? We know with many new diseases that are newly emerging, as we've learned, you're often seeing the tip of the iceberg. It might be bigger because there's no tests for it or it's just not fully appreciated the extent of the outbreak. So that is where our system, part of the early warning system, is actually connected to all of the flight data around the planet. The schedules of aircraft moving around the entire world, as well as even the anonymized flight itineraries in a year, over 4 billion travelers boarding commercial flights. So we've built up a system now where the engine that is crawling the web in Chinese and Spanish and Hindi and all these other languages is talking to the system that is monitoring and analyzing the movements of travelers around the planet. And that integration now is just taking a couple of seconds. And we had analyzed the final destinations and some of the places that we thought would be at greatest risk if this outbreak were to spread further beyond mainland China. Well, it turns out that 12 of the 20 cities that we listed at being at greatest risk were among the very first in the world that were impacted So Bangkok, for instance, was the very top of our list. Bangkok was the very first city that had COVID-19 appear in that city after it spread outside of mainland China. It's
1: incredible because there's so much information that is being uploaded and published online, a lot of information that you are receiving. And so it's one thing to be able to collect that data, but What do you do with that information once you
0: have it? Blue Dot, we kind of have the DNA of an academic institution. I'm still an active professor at the University of Toronto, and we kind of bring that into the organization's DNA and then ultimately use the business to essentially implement and disseminate that scientific knowledge using technology. But I think the other piece that maybe you are perhaps alluding to is around the diversity of data and the complexity of this problem. When we talk about big data, we think about it in terms of the volume of data. The problem with infectious diseases is the variety. That's the problem. It's not managing terabytes of data or data that's streaming with a very high frequency. It's the fact that you know infectious diseases sound like one thing, a homogeneous thing. But in fact, They're a very heterogeneous, diverse group of things. One moment, we have to think about Zika virus, which is spread by a mosquito, and we'll have to understand the biology of the mosquito and how that relates to temperature and how that relates to a human. The next minute, we might think about Ebola or measles or COVID-19, and they're all very, very different. So bringing all this data together, and what is needed is the ability to transform very diverse data into an insight and an insight into an action, and that has to happen very, very quickly. So going from data to insights is complex. This is not a simple problem to tackle, and you require not only a diverse set of data, but you require a diverse set of perspectives and expertise to derive meaning from these data.
1: And to your point, a lot of it is to prevent a lot of these things from happening. And you use artificial intelligence to identify irregular activity that has to do with these infectious diseases. What happens when that irregular activity becomes regular activity in the case of a full blown pandemic?
0: If we think of an outbreak being a bit like a fire with embers flying off, the first part is early detection and knowing there is a fire. The second part is to think about where those embers may be flying off to. This is kind of like infected travelers flying off to different parts of the world. And then finally, will they land in environments where they're able to actually then trigger the next outbreak? So at Blue Dot, we have been building a data foundation and an analytic and technological foundation that is really able to look at and mitigate risks over the full life cycle of an outbreak. So when COVID-19 started to land in different cities, let's just talk about here more closely at home in North America, we started to utilize anonymous data on the locations of mobile devices to understand how diseases might not only disperse, but also to generate really meaningful insights about interventions like physical distancing. When you're dealing with an outbreak that's kind of out of control, you know, your first order of business is to test and to identify cases and then isolate those cases. But it's then after that to identify their contacts and quarantine those contacts. And we've heard quite a bit about this. When those fail and an outbreak keeps accelerating, That's where you uh, sometimes have to go to these physical distancing measures and have people staying home and minimizing contacts with others. So, this is where we continue to work, for example, in the state of California, supporting the efforts there to help the public health community understand where the stay at home orders, for example, are working. Where are they not working? Where are populations and communities getting fatigued? So, the public health community has the epidemic intelligence to be able to understand how it's going to use its very finite human resources in the most effective and efficient way possible.
1: As the world has collectively witnessed, tackling a pandemic like COVID-19 requires lightning-fast agility in order to disseminate critical information to key decision makers. No one understands this better than Dr. Khan who fought through the SARS outbreak and witnessed crucial areas that needed improvement if the world was to have a fighting chance against future outbreaks. He argues that the answer to tackling and outpacing the spread of disease can be found in the entrepreneurial ecosystem, where business can be used as a vehicle for innovation and information. In his view, purpose doesn't have to come at the expense of profit. It doesn't have to be a zero-sum game. We need to use all the tools available to us in order to tackle problems as big as SARS or COVID-19. It's the reason why he created Blue Dot and undoubtedly a critical key to a future free of infectious diseases. Shifting just to the field of artificial intelligence, obviously Canada has made some really incredible contributions to that field and is a leader in artificial intelligence. When it comes to infectious diseases, using big data, it doesn't seem like it's really been a big part of the conversation. How do you think that dialogue needs to change as we move forward?
0: Diseases move incredibly quickly, and they can have devastating, as we have seen, health and economic and social consequences. We are just going to have to be faster and smarter and better coordinated if we are going to prevent or mitigate the consequences. So we need to be using all the tools that we have available to us. On one hand, the world is changing through globalization, where we are seeing the emergence of these types of diseases and outbreaks, and they're occurring with greater frequency and scale and consequence. And you know, if we just look at the last 20 years, there's never been that 20-year period in human history with outbreaks that we've seen. Just think even going back to 1999. West Nile virus showed up in North America. It's changed the entire continent forever. We kind of forget and we don't realize that it wasn't here before then. But on the other hand, the world is changing in ways that can really play to our advantage. We have growing access to big data. We have advanced analytical tools like machine learning to make sense of these data. We've got digital technologies where we can literally spread knowledge around the world faster than any outbreak. So we have the raw materials needed. To be able to move more quickly. I think the other challenge is that in health, we have been a little bit slower as a sector in health and medicine than other industries, whether it's social media or transportation or marketing. I mean, there are other fields that have been making use of data in ways to generate really meaningful insights. I mean, one of the reasons here is that the problems we're tackling in health and medicine are complicated. These are not simple challenges.
1: And to your point around, you know, the complexity of trying to solve a lot of these challenges in medicine and healthcare, aside from that, what do you think are the hurdles that prevent us from embracing big data fully, whether that's from a technological innovation standpoint or a policy standpoint even?
0: A couple of thoughts is part of this is there's a technical challenge. There is a creating organizations that are diverse, sufficiently diverse to be able to tackle these complex problems. And I think that's a really important point I just want to spend a moment on because these kinds of problems we're dealing with in health and in particular infectious diseases are not ones that you can tackle with one set of expertise. One of the things that we've built at Blue Dot is the diverse set of skills. So we are an eclectic mix, a deliberately eclectic mix of physicians and veterinarians and ecologists and data scientists and geographers and epidemiologists and computer scientists and engineers. And you can get a sense that every one of us brings a slightly different perspective to this problem. AI and machine learning is a tool, but ultimately you need that diversity of skills and perspectives to be able to generate and derive
1: meaning. Having a team that is diverse in its background and experience and qualifications, you have physicians, vets, epidemiologists, geographers, data scientists on your team, et cetera, et cetera. You've almost assembled this A vendor's team of people who can tackle a pandemic. And it makes total sense because, you know, when we have these discussions around diversity in the boardroom, diversity in companies, that is to acknowledge the fact that people have a diverse, you know, range of experiences to contribute to a larger picture. Now, when it comes to the data that you're harnessing from machine learning, where do you strike the balance between? human intelligence and big data within this context, where do they each come into play and what do they have the most to offer in?
0: We all need to be playing to our strengths. And so when I think about that between humans and machines, you know, machines can process vast amounts of data and replicate certain types of processes. Machines don't need to sleep So that is where we have been really leveraging the strengths of machines. But humans really bring a higher order of understanding. You know, if I think about our early detection of COVID-19, even before it had a name, it was our understanding of history That was actually very relevant there.
1: Now, you mentioned earlier about Blue Dot's mission, and I think that's important to bring up. As a company, what are the values that act as ultimately the pillars and foundations that guide your work?
0: First of all, our first core value is that we're driven by purpose. And that is how we really bring a lot of the talent into the organization. People who really are excited about doing something that's bigger than themselves Other core values comes from the Hippocratic Oath and first do no harm. We're not talking about using machine learning to optimize something in a video game. You know, not that that isn't important, but we are talking about people's lives. And it's incredibly important that we be very, very precise and very thoughtful. And this is where we bring in the DNA of an academic institution around a lot of the rigor and testing of our work. Our third value is thinking without borders. It's a metaphor in some ways around diseases don't respect borders and will jump across the planet. But it's also really about recognizing that we need that mindset and thought processes that are breaking down silos of conventional thinking, because the kind of problems we're tackling in many instances maybe have never been tackled before. The fourth is diversity. I know that perhaps it can sound like a cliche that you need a diverse group of people to tackle complex problems. But I think my experience has been this is absolutely the truth. We could not tackle the problems we are taking on without having someone who knows in depth how to talk to data streaming from a satellite or someone else who understands the biology of a mosquito and so on and so forth. And the last comes from another physician, Albert Schweitzer, and it's really paraphrasing a quote, and it's ultimately that success comes from happiness. And and what we really are trying to do is make sure in our culture is that we are empowering individuals to be enabled and happy in what they are doing. And I think with COVID-19, we perhaps maybe don't fully appreciate it at times because we're in the middle of it, but This is one of the most important events in in human history. And history is kind of unfolding and being written in front of our eyes. And I think for many of us, there's such a profound sense of purpose and meaning to be able to be contributing in a way that is impacting other people's lives. And for for all of us, that is what gets us out of bed in the morning.
1: Now, as a for-profit social enterprise, How do you balance the needs of your clients and that of, you know, something like public health, especially in instances where, you know, for example, a private health insurance company in the U.S. would want to enlist your services or something like that?
0: Now, a couple of thoughts there are. One of them is for us, business is really the vehicle for us to be able to use revenue to reinvest into research and development and to accelerate innovation. Now, I can say this as a professor for years that wrote grants. That is not a particularly timely process. Now, what we are doing is we're actually generating jobs. We're generating insights that are protecting populations. We are selling and licensing our technologies to countries around the world. That is improving lives, but generating revenue and also allowing us to reinvest that I think it's very important for us to recognize that in order for us to tackle these threats, we need to be empowering the whole of society. I think I mentioned this at the very beginning. It's not enough for an insight to sit in the hands of a small group of people in the public health agency. These insights have to be getting to the front lines of our healthcare workers and our hospitals, You know, sick patients don't go to the public health department, they come to the emergency department. And while many of us might think that these insights are delivered there instantaneously, that's actually just not the case. And we need to have more astute clinicians and empower our frontline healthcare workers with these types of meaningful insights so they can protect themselves, but they can also protect the rest of us. An astute clinician could literally stop an outbreak in its tracks. The last piece is We have to be recognizing that industry also can be a part of the solution. So, you know, one of the things we've learned with COVID-19 is that companies with global footprints around the world have been saying, you know, we need to be thinking about ways to protect our employees, but also to anticipate disruptions in business continuity or broken supply chains that could really impact the financial resilience of a business.
1: And I guess it goes to this bigger conversation around profit and purpose and whether or not they can coexist or if they're mutually exclusive, you know, whether people see them as more church and state or
0: as partners. Before founding Blue Dot, I just kind of thought, well, profit must mean this comes at the expense of purpose. And I think what I really learned and have come to, really believe and see in how we live out our values at Blue Dot is that profit and purpose do not have to be a zero sum game. If you bring values with you, you can be profitable and you can have purpose and impact that is benefiting people's lives.
1: So just as we finish up, what do you think is the biggest lesson that we've learned from COVID-19 when it comes to early detection and prevention and harnessing big data? What do we need to do in order to prevent something like this from happening again?
0: In public health and in medicine, we often talk about different levels of prevention, primary prevention, secondary prevention, and tertiary prevention. Let me just kind of describe why I think we need to be thinking about this problem in these same tiers. Primary prevention is really about how do you prevent something from happening in the first place. So a vaccine would be an example of if you get vaccinated and it's an effective vaccine, you don't end up getting the infection. When we think about COVID-19, what we are dealing with today is the symptom of a much broader condition. We are just dealing with the underlying drivers of the fact that our world is changing, how we are interacting with the world around us is actually the catalysts that are creating the sparks for these types of outbreaks. So what do I mean by that? About three quarters of all new emerging diseases that we see have their origins in animal populations. Whether we're talking about SARS or even HIV or Ebola or Zika virus or a swine flu, the H1N1 pandemic, these have their origins in animals and they have made their move over into humans, adapted themselves, and then in our hyperconnected world spread around the planet this is a question like mother nature as i mentioned earlier is trying to tell us something which is the way that we are interacting with the world around us whether it's the industrialization of agriculture whether it's the mass consumption of wildlife whether it is the disruption of wildlife ecosystems these factors are catalyzing the emergence and spread of many infectious diseases that are having devastating consequences, health consequences, economic consequences, social consequences to humanity. So I know today we are very focused on how many cases of COVID-19 there are and deaths, and, and we should be because this is the crisis that we're in right now. What I hope is that we don't lose sight of the fact that this is a moment for reflection as well, And it's a moment of asking ourselves, how did we get here in the first place? And why are we seeing more outbreaks than we've ever seen before? And let's rethink how we're interacting with Mother Nature, because Mother Nature is sending us a message about how we're doing that. The second piece is secondary prevention, which is early detection. You know, this would be like getting a colonoscopy to make sure you don't have colon cancer and detecting it before you even know it. Well, what Blue Dot is building are those early warning systems to detect threats at the earliest stage possible, because if there's one key lesson that I think we have learned here is that time is everything, it is our non-renewable resource, we don't get it back. And that if we intervene early, we might be able to prevent an outbreak, or we could change the course of an outbreak and really mitigate its consequences, so time is critical an early warning system is needed that can have a bird's eye view of what's happening around the planet, understand risks of dispersion, understand what kind of disruption might occur so that we can respond in a way that is commensurate with the risk, but is also timely and coordinated and efficient and effective. And tertiary prevention is really how do we minimize harm once something is already underway. So in the case of COVID-19, The outbreak is underway. How do we quickly detect cases and identify contacts and minimize the consequence because the outbreak is already taking place? Right now, we're kind of focusing on tertiary prevention, mitigating risk or preparing for what may be coming ahead in the weeks and and months ahead. But I think when we look at how do we prevent this from happening again, we have to look past tertiary prevention. We've got to think about secondary prevention and early warnings and signals so we use our time effectively and we act appropriately and in a timely manner. And we need to be also thinking even further upstream about primary prevention. And what actions do each of us have as a global citizen? If this has taught us anything, we hear the phrase, we're all in it together. Well, this has really taught us that this is not just about how every human's health is now connected around the world. This is how every human's health is connected to every other living system on our planet. And that's, I think, an important piece for us to just not lose sight of. And I think it's incredibly important for that reflection. I realize at this moment, we may not have the the mind share and the capacity to, to spend a lot of that time right now, but I think it will be very, very important for us to do as we see this you know evolve and we will get through this one day at a time we will get through this but then for us to kind of look back and say how do we avoid getting ourselves back in this position again because i think if we do not learn the lessons we may find ourselves back here sooner than we would like
1: right it's an opportunity to learn from everything that's going on right now Well, I know you're a very busy man and you've been very, very generous with your time. I very much appreciate you being able to spend some time with us today. It's been both a pleasure and enlightening to chat with you. Thank you for having me. I really
0: have enjoyed this conversation, so really appreciate your time and interest.
1: What I love about the kind of company that Dr. Khan is building is not just the fact that he's harnessing technology in a new way to ultimately save lives, But he's doing it by building a super team of experts you might not immediately associate with a company focusing on infectious diseases. Yes, he's got physicians and epidemiologists, but he's also got veterinarians, geographers, data scientists, and more. And that's because these are very complex problems, which require widening the scope of perspectives in order to best tackle them. It contributes to the fact that diverse skill sets and points of view in any organization help us build better businesses and solve complex problems. Next week on Mission Critical, we speak with Albert's co-founder, Joey Zwillinger, about sustainability in fashion, greenwashing, and measuring your carbon footprint. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts so we can get the word out. To keep up to date, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, ask yourself, what's your mission?